This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, uh, you just played one of uh, everybody's best-known Fleetwood Mac songs. And you think about that trilogy of albums, the Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac in 75, and Rumors in 77, and then uh, Tusk. And I think for a lot of us, looking at that period in your career... It's hard for us to imagine that you were having anything like a normal life, that there was so much stuff going on. <laughs> that, that do, do you have fond memories of that era, or is it all shrouded in the clouds of insane touring and recording? Well, it certainly wasn't a normal life by any standard anyone in this room would, would consider normal today. But, but, you know, you have to understand that in... Uh, in that time period, there was a kind of a, a subculture that not only existed within the world of rock, but just in general with, with a certain uh, generation of people that, uh, that were pushing boundaries, shall we say. You know, and we were right at the front of that, I think. I, I think it, what you're trying to tell the people here is, is that it was very much a tribute to William Blake's Proverbs of Hell, the road of excess leads to the Palace of Wisdom. And it was... Uh, for those who survive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I do have a lot of fond memories of that. I mean, obviously, part of the whole story of the band in those days and what made it attractive to people, uh, the, the part that went beyond the music was the fact that we were two couples who had broken up and somehow had uh, managed to complete our mission uh, despite that, and and uh, of course, you know, in order to do that, uh, it wasn't all good. Obviously, you know, uh, Stevie and I uh, were breaking up at the time that we started making rumors. And in order to get through that, say, as a producer and as someone who was uh, making quote hits for her, and, and in a way helping her to move even farther away from me, I mean, there were exercises in denial and in compartmentalizing. I think of. Of feelings, and you know, it wasn't the healthiest way to go, uh, for sure. <laughs> but you know, we did what we had to do. You know, one of my favorite parts of your whole story is is uh, you know after the Buckingham Nicks album came out, and you were thinking about what to do next, and uh, dealing with Polydor at the time, and and this you know Mick Fleetwood and John McVie come along and say, how about you guys join this band? And of course, already. Uh, uh, pretty stout history behind Fleetwood Mac before you even joined. Right. I get the impression, reading about it, that there was some initial hesitation. I don't know if this is a good idea. Is that true? Well, you know, Stevie and I were very committed to the potential, at least, of, of what we had. There were signs, uh, even though that album, the Buckingham Knicks album, had come and gone, and even though we were struggling in Los Angeles, uh, these sort of signs that maybe if we were to continue, something interesting might happen with us. We had opened for some people like Poco and some other groups in, in the South uh, for a period of time. And for some reason, 
those audiences picked up on what we were doing. And to the point, it, it was very strange. We could headline for maybe four or 5,000 people in various towns uh, in the South and yet be completely obscure in Los Angeles. So that was a clue that maybe, you know, it was something not to let go of. And then, of course, on the other side of it, Fleetwood Mac had been through so many incarnations. I mean, I was a huge fan of the Peter Green Fleetwood Mac, and uh, yet it had gotten convoluted in so many ways. And to Mo Austin's credit, who was the president of Warner Brothers at that time, he just let them stay on the label and sort of allowed the ferment to be there until they ran into us. But, you know, it wasn't that clear, you know, who Fleetwood Mac was at that point. Well, 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 another thing, another point, you know, if you're looking for a new job, you're talking Peter Green, Jeremy Spencer, uh, Danny Kerwin. You have this whole raft of guitar players. You're probably thinking to yourself, this is like being the drummer for Spinal Tap. This is not, <laughs> this is not job security. They can't keep a guitarist uh, nailed down for more than a year or two. You know, I had complete confidence that I could live up to the task in terms of being a contributor or having a talent. Well, what I was worried about was basically what happened to all three of those guys is they kind of dropped out mentally. And, you know, I wasn't that far away at that time, so... <laughs> I didn't want to be the next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.